because the operations are performed on the registers and not on the packet themselves. The second one, the counterpart, is to store data from the registers to the packets. The third one is the ALU operations, obviously for the uh, arithmetic and uh, logic operations. And then we have the branch instructions in order to perform loops or tests. Loops is a kind of a joke because you cannot do loops, but anyway. And the return instruction, which uh, terminates the filter. It's like the return zero on the C program or something. So uh, you probably, all of you, are using BPF on almost daily basis. If you have ever run speedump in your life, then you have done some uh, BPF. So speedump is based on the libpkp that you can also use in order to work with pkp. Um, you can also use uh, BPF with a TC classifier or with a IP tables module. If some of you have read the Cloudflare post about BPF, they use the XTBPF module in IP tables in order to offload uh, BPF on their infrastructure. So um, we'll see the outcome of the following commands, which basically ask tspdump to uh, display the packets which are destined, um, which are going towards UDP. Uh, uh, port 11 to 11, which is a memcached listening port. So here is the output that you get. Notice on the left side that you have some numbering and you have some outcomes for instruction. So the first instruction actually loads uh, data from the packets at offset 12, which is the Ethernet type. And then it ensures that uh, it's uh, 0x800, which is the IPv4 uh, Ether type. If that's true, go to label number two, which is this one. And then uh, load the double word, uh, which is the, the protocol field in IPv4 header. And then ensure that it corresponds to UDP number. If that's true, load the destination port and ensure that it's uh, 11 to 11. And so if that's true, go to nine, otherwise go to 10. If you didn't understand anything, I have a picture for you. As you can see, we're just interested in the rightmost uh, leaf of uh, the tree in order to keep the packets. Otherwise, the packet is discarded. Please don't do that. So BPF and the evolutions. So BPF uh, was uh, um, has evolved since then. In 213, it was uh, um, integrated into the Linux kernel with some additions. Um, so uh, all this information comes from the documentation of the kernel, which I'm referring to uh, on the absolute path, um, well, relative path. So uh, first difference, the register size, uh, which goes from uh, 32 bits to 64 bits, uh, and also an increasing number of registers. There used to be two registers, now there are tens of them. And the ABI is mapped to the underlying architecture, which means that you get the same uh, calling convention from BPF and for the underlying uh, architecture. So basically, you get the result from uh, R0 on ARM, and you pass the parameters through the registers. All the operations and the instructions are also encoded on 64 bits now, always fixed length instructions, so it's still OK. Some glitch about uh, the jump through jump force that we don't care about. And then BPF tables were uh, introduced, sorry, uh, BPF calls and BPF maps were introduced. I'm going to go deeper into that. So, um, just to clarify, when I spoke, speak about BPF right now, I'm talking about extended BPF, and uh, if I talk about uh, former BPF, I will be talking about classical BPF. So if you use BPF in your Linux kernel, it's uh, extended BPF, so just BPF. 
PPF is not limited to traffic networking. Some of you may have used it, uh, for instance, for security purposes, uh, such as uh, SecComp, uh, famous um, sandbox on Linux. Or if you have done some uh, traffic measurements on Linux, you can also have K-probes, uh, which are instrumented thanks to BPF. PPF is very suitable for JIT because, as I said before, um, all the data are already mapped on the registers and uh, the underlying ABI is uh, suitable to make the calls. So basically, uh, the only thing to be done is to convert the BPF instructions into an underlying architecture uh, instruction. A JIT is available for uh, a lot of architecture, especially the ARM ARM64 and x86 and 8864 bits. So basically, when you run network, uh, you have BPF cheat available. Um, BPF bytecode is verified when it's uh, loaded into the kernel. So if you misbehave in your program, the kernel will just, will just refuse to load it and say no, because there is this condition which was not valid. A hardened BPF uh, is available as well in order to prevent JIT spray, for instance, if you craft some instructions uh, in your bytecode where they have simply implemented the XOR in order that you cannot jump into uh, crafted instructions in order not to escape the sandbox. And to enable JIT, it's really easy. You just have to get the support on your kernel and then you can just echo to enable it. So uh, the verifier. Uh, so the verifier is an oracle which says, yes, it's safe to load it. No, it's not safe. So it does um, a lot of uh, checks actually. So the first one uh, is regarding the termination of BPF. Because BPF program must be short, uh, there are size bounded, which means you cannot have more than 4K instructions on a BPF program. And the second one is uh, CFG analysis, so control, control flow graph analysis in order to prevent loops. Because otherwise, if you have uh, unlimited loops, then you cannot uh, bound the, the execution time of the function. Also, a BPF program must be safe by safe, I mean must not crash. So uh, extensive tests are done in order to prevent uh, out-of-range um, memory read or write or out-of-range execution. Also, finally, um, because you can use BPF for several things, you can call function helpers and the correctness of the function's argument are also verified in order to get current stuff. So all this uh, is implemented into the country, as I said before. So um, as a main feature, BPF has introduced um, maps. So think about uh, key value store, which enable, uh, allows you to communicate between user space and kernel space. So the principle is the following. In the user space, uh, so this is the code, and this is data, and this is the kernel code. So the user program interacts with the kernel using the BPF syscall, and uh, the BPF syscall allows the user to create a table, which I will describe later. And then on the kernel program, you can query and update and uh, etc. the values uh, of the maps. So that the user space loads the program into the kernel, which will do the filtering. The filtering will update the counters, and the user space can query the counters in order to get the results. Notice that BPF works with a file descriptor interface. So if you close your program, basically, you will also lose the reference to the table. So ultimately, it's going to be deleted. So to overcome that, there is a pseudo file system which allows you to pin programs and maps into the file system so that you get a slash sys slash blah 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 slash ppf in order to uh, communicate between processes. 
So as I said before, the maps, so the key value store things, uh, is defined with the types. Uh, so you basically have arrays, hashes, LRU for a, a cache algorithm. As you can see, there is also a performance counterpart where the locality of data can be on the CPU. In that case, uh, you don't have to use Atomics on your BPF programs, but the user space has to take that into consideration and make the sums of the contours, for instance. Also, notice an interesting type, which is LPM, in order to perform... Um, sorry, I have a blank. So LPM is to match, uh, you know, IP address uh, with uh, CIDR. So in order to check whether an IP is within a range or not, longest packet match, sorry. Uh, so it's interesting because uh, basically it allows you to blacklist a range of IP and um, do the detection easily. And also because everything must be bounded in BPF, uh, you have to specify the max number of entries uh, in your maps, so key size and the value size in bytes. So let's play with BPF. The first thing you can do if you want to play with BPF is uh, have a look on the kernel samples on BPF. So there are a couple of programs. The first one are for classical BPF. So there is an, an assembler, a minimal assembler for classical BPF. There is also a BPF debugger, which is nice because you provide a pickup packet and you prov provide uh, BPF programs. And then you can basically like in GDB, step, 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 and look at the registers and the values and understand why your program drops a packet when you didn't expect it to do. And the third one is BPF tools, which is a wrapper around the BPF uh, syscall, which lets you query tables, programs, and stuff like that. Also, there is uh, this project which is called uh, BCC, which stands for uh, BPF uh, Compiler Collection. Uh, if some of you know the talks of uh, Brett Gradband from Netflix, which does a lot of uh, performance measurements, uh, he did a lot of commits on, on that project. So uh, basically, it's a toolkit to create efficient uh, kernel tracking and manipulation, which has an extensive use of BPF. So uh, as of today, just remember that it provides an uh, API in order to load your BPF into the kernel and do some queries. I've been using it for the Python API, which I'm going to show you just after. Small demo, live demo. Um, so as I said before, I was talking about uh, memcached. So on this demo, there will be one side which will generate some memcached random comments. Uh, and the other one will uh, just uh, um, pass the packets, ensure it's uh, towards memcached, and extract uh, the command inside and update uh, BPF maps in order to get a um, live counting of uh, what instructions have uh, gone through the network. Uh, just for your information, here are the following commands that you can have with uh, memcached and some metrics. The code is really crappy. It's going to be public soon, but first I have to remove some glitch inside. So it's roughly 300 lines of code. Sorry. So my demo. Um, let's do the run. I don't want to zoom in because I'm not even sure what it will do. So. Um, basically, as you can see, there was a slip because uh, I said that the generator must not stop. And then you get some updates on the counters. Maybe I can try it soon, anyway. So as you can see, the traffic is being generated and uh, <laughs> the output is, uh, is live. So basically, simple Python program. You just craft a um, memcached um, formatted packet or so of some types. 
and then you just uh, choose a random command and send it. And from the receiving part is a bit more complicated, but basically it's just uh, wrappers around the BCC toolchain, which loads the C program, which does the uh, analysis and queries the map. And I can show you afterwards if you like, but it's out of topic right now. So now it's time for performance analysis. First of all, uh, we need to be on the same page with uh, what's the, the, uh, the numberings. So if you want big bandwidth, basically it's easy because uh, if you know the, um, well, basically if I send you a USB stick by the, uh, by the post mail, uh, you can have big data, but with high latency, but you will have almost nothing to do because there is just one key and so there is no latency and well, sorry, um, nothing to be done, no, not a lot of events. On the opposite side, uh, if you want to handle small packets at line rates, then you have a lot of events which uh, occur every second with very small packets. So basically it means that you have to do uh, a lot of uh, computation in order to get the packets and the data. So for instance, for uh, 50 gigs, you expect to have 74 million packets per second. So it means that if you want to be line rate on small packets, uh, then your computer basically has to do 74 uh, sorry, million operations per second in order to wake up and take the packets and write them somewhere and then take another one rather than uh, with large packets such as 150-bit uh, um, MTU. Well, there is only 4 million of events per second. So the challenge here is to handle small packets rather than large packets. Experimental setup. I've been using two servers. Uh, so it's Xeon uh, Gold uh, with uh, eight core each. So two of them and 86 gigabit of memory, uh, 50 gig Mellanox uh, connected for cards and uh, 4.15 kernel. The servers are connected back to back with QSFP. So there is no switch, no configuration to be done. And so the objective during the measurement of the network are to uh, increase the number of packets per second and uh, avoid data loss because, uh, as Xavier will explain, uh, the enemy in networking is losing packets. So we also need to produce some graphs. So let's do some Yolo DevOps. Basically, copy and paste, blap, it works, and you get a graph and a running with uh, your agent doing some uh, measurements. So um, here are the following methods that I've been using for uh, to generate uh, the traffic, and uh, it's not the last version of the slide. Yeah, congrats to me. So uh, it will be interactive. Uh, I will show you some code, and I expect you to give me some uh, estimate of the traffic that you can reach. So the first one, if you want to generate some UDP traffic, <coughs> is just to call uh, eco pipe to netcat uh, over UDP and see what how it goes. So. How many packets do you think we can have with this? Okay, the warrant here. So actually we get uh, less than 1K packet per second, so it's not enough for our test, but uh, yeah, it was simple. So then uh, I've been shamelessly stealing a Python program from Google, uh, you know, like Python UDP. Um, basically send the same error one message toward uh, 505 over UDP, in the loop. For this one, how much do you think? Better, fewer? Yay. So we get 500k packets. Uh, the loss here is not important because if you look at the scale, it's less than one packet per second. 
So uh, just let me come back to the graph. So uh, on the top of the graph, you get the actual number of packets per second. And on the bottom side, you have the drops. So basically, you want this to be as deep as possible, and this one as slow as possible. As low as possible. So now I said, OK, there is uh, probably a limitation, and I have roughly 32 cores. I mean, there is hyper-threading and so on. But OK, let's spawn 32 processes. How much do you think we can get with this one? OK, obviously more. So with this one, we get 7 million packets per second. Yay, but we still have a 10 times factor. We want more. For those who are interested, I've also been trying with SCAPI. So with SCAPI, you can have the loop, which is not widely known. So, And for this one, we get uh, 2K, which is better than the, than the Netcat, but uh, not better than the Python. So SCAPI is not the solution here. But you can use TCP replay, for instance. So uh, on the upper side, it's uh, SCAPI, uh, SCAPI code, uh, which uh, creates uh, pickup packets with uh, an Ethernet, uh, an UDP over IP over Ethernet packets. And then I've been using TCP replay in order to check that. So if you read the TCP replay uh, documentation, you'll see that T stands for top speed. And then, I don't know, but the K works. And so with TCP replay, we managed to get 1 million packets per second, which is an order of magnitude better than, uh, than SCAPI alone, but still not as good as what we could achieve um, previously. So now, OK, let's go into the game. And uh, I went to this uh, GitHub account uh, for vBouter and uh, did our scripts on a C3D program, and I was expecting something huge. And we also get the 7 million packets per second, so roughly the same performance as the Python script. So don't bother writing some thread program. It's not the way to do it. And then there is the famous uh, kernel packet gain. Uh, for your information, it used not to work. And in the end, it was my last test. And finally, I got it working. So I was like, OK, I spent a lot of time to make something work, which is the next one for nothing. So two invocation, one with 32 threads, <coughs> and one with only one thread. So this one, you have to to give me numbers. How many packets should I accept for, uh, expect for uh, the first and second one? Millions? More than 10? Less than 10? OK, actually, we get less than 10 for uh, one core. But uh, with uh, 32 cores, we managed to reach 40 million packets per second, which gets better. It's still not the 70 million packets that we were expecting. But spoiler alert, we won't be able to reach the 7 million, 70 million. And then I've been using DPDK packet gain. I'm going to talk about DPDK later, but uh, just keep in mind that with DPDK packet gain, you can basically craft everything you want on the packet, uh, rather than with the kernel. Uh, from my understanding, it's, uh, you cannot decide what kind of traffic you are going to send. So basically, with um, DPDK, I am using several uh, destinations IP and uh, randomize the source and destination port. And I still get the 40 million packets. Actually, as you can see, we get uh, 50 million packets per second, and we lost 26 million. So the sum is roughly 40 million as well, but that's interesting. So this is the setup we are going to use in order to make the performance evaluation. So this is uh, the receiving part. So it's like, OK, what's it like? And as you can see, it's uh, red on HTOP. So the red, the red stands for kernel uh, processing on HTOP. 
And if you wonder why only this and this uh, are red, it's actually because the network card is on uh, NUMA number one, so the only the second CPU uh, gets the interruption and the things to do. So um, as a system administrator, I was like, oh my god, what can I do? So I've, uh, I've used uh, IP tables. So I want to drop all the UDP packets because, uh, as I said before, I'm randomizing the source and destination port, so I cannot do any more precise filtering. Oh my gosh, it didn't change anything. So I've been Googling and, oh la la, how can I do? And I found that uh, we can actually use the row table, which comes before the filtering tables, so we expect the performance to get better. And actually, it's get a bit better because, as you can see, there is some CPU uh, which have less work to do. Still not good. For your information, I've also been trying NFTables because NFTables is supposed to be faster. Well, the outcome is that this is NFTables and this is the first IP tables. So for the same rules, uh, the issue is with, with uh, sorry, IP tables is not uh, the mitigation capability, it's the um, composition of a lot of rules, which uh, is slow. And I think this is what uh, NFTables try to address. So for the raw performances, we get the same thing with IP tables. You can notice that using the row table, we lose le less packets, so we roughly uh, come from 25 to, let's say, 12, so basically we, ga we gain 10 million packets per second, so it's kind of interesting. So, um, as a synthesis, the packets come on the link and then the kernel does something, and we have uh, IP tables which can perform some modifications on, uh, on the packets. Uh, the later uh, you go to the software and the slower you get. So basically we need to put the mitigation towards the hardware. So no IP tables, is not slow, it just comes too late into the TCP IP stack. So now we'll introduce uh, XDP. So XDP, XDP is uh, quite new, it's like uh, a moving fast technology which is about one year old. XDP stands for uh, Express Data Pass, so it's uh, a way to have some hooks on the kernel in order to perform some mitigation and put some BPF programs. So um, BPF lets you uh, program your uh, control plane on Linux using BPF programs. So um, the packet arrives from a NIC uh, to an XDP program which is attached to, the attached to that NIC. And so there are three outcomes. The first one, you can accept the packet. In that case, case the packet is just forwarded to the classical TCP IP stack from Linux. XDP can decide to drop the packet. In that case, nothing has happened from the, for the, from the kernel point of view. But XDP can also be used to retransmit the packet from the same interface or to a different one using XDP redirect. And if you wonder if it has been used, well, Facebook has been using it in order to replace uh, KPLIVT with uh, BPF. Uh, program, so yes, it's used. So XDP is not a replacement for the kernel IP stack, as I said before. Uh, if uh, the packets go through the XDP filter, it's just arrived at the top of the Linux kernel stack. Uh, it's not a kernel bypass either. It runs BPF program on hooks, so you can basically run BPF on different location to the kernel, uh, from near the user space to near the hardware. Uh, and as I said, there are three outcomes. So uh, for the performance analysis, of course, uh, I've done an XDP program, which basically drops all the UDP uh, packets. So here is the outcome. So on the first phases, this is the packet gain uh, loading phases. 
And then I've been using XDP generic. So XDP generic is the latest part when you can use uh, XDP on the kernel, but it requires no support from the driver or for, from the, the hardware. So it's, uh, it will work everywhere on your Linux uh, stack. The first one is uh, does not use any JIT. So then I've been echo one slash proc la a and activated the JIT. And we can see that with the JIT, we get a performance improvement because uh, we receive from 20 million packets to 30 million packets. So again, we have a gap of uh, 10 million packets. And then I said, okay, what happens if uh, I offload the BPF to the drivers? And if uh, the BPF code is offloaded to the driver, well, basically the kernel does not see any traffic at all. So if you do H, uh, stop, there is just nothing anymore because the kernel does not do anything with the packet anymore. So this is the minimalistic example that you can do with, uh, with BPF. So basically, you need to have a dedicated section in order to uh, put your code at the right place and explain the kernel stack that you have to load the BPF program, which is located in this section. So define a section. Here it's called prog. And then you put your uh, BPF program, which will just drop the traffic. So it's not my actual code. My actual code is a bit uh, more complicated. But to fit on the slide, this is a simple thing simplest thing that you can do. So synthesis, uh, there are several places where you, where you can set XDP program. The first one is uh, on the NIC, where you get the better performances. Otherwise, uh, you can, uh, if the drivers support XDP, then you can offload BPF code uh, using XDP driver offload. Otherwise, you can stand with uh, XDP generic. <coughs> and then I've been talking about kernel bypass as a BPF alternative, or Maybe XTP is the alternative to kernel bypass. It depends on, the, on your point of view. The principle of kernel bypass is basically that your user space will take care of the card. So the NIC will not be seen anymore by the kernel, and it will just periodically just do active polling and pass the packet. Um, so this is a lot of work to be done. So there are several implementations of uh, kernel bypass, like PFRing, NetMap, DPDK, etc., etc. So on the Benefits, uh, it's very fast, and uh, the inconvenience are that uh, it requires a driver support so that you can pull mode, uh, pull mode driver, for instance. Uh, you have to do the whole code by hand, so basically uh, it's a replacement for the kernel uh, stack, so you have to implement your TCPIP stack by yourself. And you can have issues with your NIC because basically you are giving the NIC to the framework, so on your Linux, if you do some ifconfig or IP link, then you will not see the NIC anymore, which depends on the constructor, but anyway. So as a summary, um, what we have seen so far that uh, scaling traffic uh, either to generate or to mitigate is not that trivial. Um, the filter needs to be applied as soon as possible, the closer from the hardware and the better performance you get, and also the closer of your uh, source of traffic and the better you are also. So XDP is a standard way to do that. Uh, standard, I mean, it's integrated into the mainline Linux kernel. And uh, you can also, of course, use alternatives such as kernel bypass, for instance. Um, the issues I've experimented with uh, XDP is that you require a recent stack. So basically, I have recompiled the uh, IP route or recent kernel with the configuration which, uh, which goes on. You also need a quite recent toolchain for LLVM uh, because all uh, the features are arriving. So you basically, the sooner you have, the best functionalities you have but it's getting better because, for instance, on the last Ubuntu, I think everything works uh, basically out of the box, according to the BCC documentation. Uh, XDP is a bit complex because uh, 
even if you use, uh, for instance, B, um, BCC, you have to load your own C program. So basically, you need to write C program in order to perform the mitigation. But it's getting better because several tools uh, are rising. Uh, the first one is BP filter. Uh, as you may know, it's been like maybe 10 years that we say that IP tables is done because NF table will save us all. Well, we still use IP tables. But there is an incoming alternative, which is PPA filter. The principle of PPA filter is to produce a compatibility layer between uh, NF tables and IP tables in order to produce BPF on the, on the backend um, generated code so that you can still use uh, IP tables and but uh, have better performances. The second one is uh, BCC because obviously on BCC you have a collection of a lot of scripts and stuff like that, so there are some network samples that you can use. So maybe you can just use the code that someone else did for you. And the last one is P4, which is a DSL. DSL stands for uh, Domain Specific Language, which helps to make it easier to write programs. So you don't write C, you write B, um, P4, and P4 has a compiler which writes the BPF for you. You can try all this by yourself because everything will be on GitHub, including my slides, uh, the measurements, the Ansible, which uh, set up everything on the server, the current configuration, and all the crappy things I've been doing. Uh, there are couples of reference that you can refer to. Um, well, I won't read them out loud. If you have any questions, I will be glad to answer. Okay, uh, we have uh, two minutes for questions. So, uh, okay. But if you need more time, feel free to talk to me outside afterwards. So, if I understood correctly, you use the uh, kernel bypass to read uh, the packets, right, and to do your filtering. Uh, have you tried to use the kernel bypass to also write the packets when you just unload the driver and you connect to the I/O of the card directly? So Actually, the um, kernel bypass was used to generate the traffic using the DPDK packet gain, but on the receiving part, it was using BPF uh, and BPF and XDP. So kernel bypass to send traffic and XDP to mitigate. No more question? Okay, thank you. Thanks.